Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Broadway Babies. I'm Noelle Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. Our guest today is the amazing Calvin Remsberg. Welcome to Broadway Babies, Calvin. Great to be here. All right, so we're going to dive right in. Calvin played Beatle in the first national tour of Sweeney Todd. And as you all already know, Sweeney Todd is mine and Stephanie's favorite musical. So we're very excited to have Calvin here. Calvin, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to Sweeney Todd? I was uh, a member of the uh, Washington Opera, the Washington National Opera which performed at the Kennedy Center. And um, we were in rehearsal for, I, I don't remember what show it was, but the uh, assistant conductor and the chorus master was a young guy named Randy Malden, Randolph Malden. And he was about my age, maybe a little younger. And he came in, uh, he lived in New York and was, it would come down to Washington for each particular opera. So he came into rehearsal and he said, I, he t came up to me and he said, I just saw Sweeney Todd this weekend in previews. And he said, there is a role in there that is perfectly made for you. And wow. I said, really? I said, what is it? And he said, it's, it's the Beatle. And I said, well, I've done the Beatle in, in um, uh, Oliver. And he said, well, it's similar. It's of similar character, although there are little orphans in it, but he said, the music is just right up your alley and it has so many of those quirky things that like your super high falsetto range. And he said, all of that's in there. And he actually could sit down at the piano and just from memory, he played me a few things. And I went, oh my God. So needless to say, about a month later, I went to New York to see it. And I saw it and my jaw dropped open and I went, well, that is me. <laughs> While I was in New York that time, I had to dinner with my good friend, Glenn Close. Now, Glenn Close and I had gone to college together, and I had, okay. directed, her, I had directed her in three, four shows. But little did I know that at that time, she was ha having a romantic affair and was living with Len Carrier, who was Sweeney mm -hmm. Todd. Holy so cow. one night we found ourselves at Joe Allen's, uh, which is, you know what Joe Allen's is? It's yes. a big theater restaurant in New York, yeah. where all theater people hang out. So anyway, I did not know that Len was a heavy, heavy investor in Sweeney Todd, so they closed the place, and we sat in there till like four in the morning, drinking and talking. And at the end, Len looked at me and he said, you know, you would make a great Beatle. Have you ever auditioned for it? And I said, no, but I would, I would dearly love to audition for it. And he said, do you sing? And Glennie Glenn, did a spit take because she knew I sang it for it. <laughs> so anyway, they fixed up the audition for the national tour. And I went back to New York. Oh, yeah, I went back to New York. I, I don't know, it's a month, maybe it's a month later or two months later to audition for it. And I had a piece um, that had been written for me by a composer friend of mine named Roger Ames, which was very much like the Beatles music. Very high and, you know, it, it showed off everything. And so I went in there and I took Randy in to play for me. Randy Malden, this guy that had, you know, 
uh, told me about in the first place. And he went in and played for me, and I sang it. And after I finished singing, Paul Gemignani, the conductor, jumped to his feet, ran down to the footlights and said, do you have a high F? And I said, yes, would you like to hear it? <laughs> and he looked at me and said, no, I don't need to hear it. <laughs> Which I thought was really wild. I thought, you know, surely they would want to hear it. But right. anyway, he said, uh, well, we're going to have you come back in about a week and a half, two weeks to sing for Hal and Steve. But this was a great, great audition. I said, thank you. So I went back to Washington and I got the call to come back to New York and it was on a particular Friday. And I was teaching at the time at the Madeira School for Girls and our graduation was that weekend. And I was in charge of it. We had a massive rehearsal schedule for that Friday. So I said, I can't, I can't come on that Friday. And they said, well, you know, unfortunately, that's the day we have Hal and Steve to look at everybody. So if you can't come, we'll just have to consider somebody else. And I thought about it and I said, okay, I'll be there. <laughs> so what I did was I went in into school in the morning and uh, got everything ready. And then I went into my assistant, who was another member of the faculty, closed the door and said, okay, now listen, here's what's going to go down. I'm going to become suddenly ill and I'm going to have to leave and go home. <laughs> But I'm not really sick. I'm flying to New York. I have an audition for something big. But you can't tell anybody. It's got to be kept quiet. And then I'll be in tomorrow. So she said, fine, I can have one. So that's exactly what happened. I got sick about 11.30. And I drove immediately to uh, Washington National Airport. Because they, in Washington, they had these things called the shuttle. And the shuttle was an airplane that flew to New York every hour on the hour. Oh. And if there were too many people to get on it, they'd add another plane. So you were guaranteed to get there. So I went to the Washington National Airport, talked, took the shuttle up to New York, caught a taxi cab in at, at Share a Cab. Oh my God, this goes way back. And my uh, guy that I shared it with into New York was a young actor named Jonathan Prince, who was going in to audition for the film. He was auditioning yeah, I know the for name. The Incredible Shrinking Woman, the movie. Yeah. And that's why he had come in from Yale and I was in from Washington, and we shared this cabin to New York. We, we exchanged information, and he later became a very, very good friend. But in any case, we got out. I got out. I went to the theater. I went upstairs in the elevator, and they said, wait here. And then they, they brought me on. And I had worn, I have this coat that I had gotten in London, which is a, a Sherlock Holmes Inverness tweed coat. And it was very reminiscent of the Beatles. So I wore it on, just on stage, and they had asked me to sing the exact same thing that I had sung the first time. So I'm waiting in the wings, and uh, Michael Kalinian, the understudy to the Beatle in New York, was auditioning for it on stage right before me in full costume. Nice. And I'm going, oh, well, this is not going to happen. You know, they're surely going to give it to him, but maybe they'll offer me the understudy. I don't know. So I went out. And I sang the same piece and I started it and I saw Hal was like in the third row. I could see him very easily, but Stephen was back in the darkness somewhere. I, I couldn't really see him. I heard his voice, but I didn't see him. Um, and I, the first two phrases of this thing it are, you kind of go, 
well, is this right for the Beatles? But then the end of the second phrase, I go up to a pianissimo high D. And that's when Hal looked over his shoulder and, and, and Paul Gimignani did this gesture like, see, I told you, you know. <laughs> and then I finished singing it. And Hal said, what is that from? And I said, it's from an opera called Amistad by my friend Roger Ames. Um, I did the workshop of it in Washington, but it has not yet, as far as I know, had a professional production. And he said, well, it's really gorgeous. I said, well, thank you. And he said, I'd like to read the scene with you now. So I had a little scene they had given me. And I read it, and he stopped me, and he made an adjustment, and he said, I forget what the adjustment was. It was something like, can you be a little bit more unctuous? Can you imply danger, even though that's not what you're saying? And so I went back, and I tried to do that, and I got about three lines out, and he looked at me, and he went, thank you. That'll be all. And then he put his glasses up on his forehead like he does, and he says, for the moment. And when he did that, I knew I had That's done it. Yeah. And by the time I got home, took the plane and got home, the offer was on my telephone answering machine. Wow. And that's how I got Sweeney Todd. That's awesome. And I had always sworn that if I hadn't made it in the business by the time I was 30, that I would just give it up and, and do something else. And we started rehearsals three days before my uh, 30th birthday. Wow. wow. That is called putting it out into the universe, isn't it? Universe. <laughs> really? Yes, and just taking a leap and just going for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And on That's that first amazing. day of rehearsal in New York, you see, talking to you brings back all these memories. That first day of rehearsal in New York, we rehearsed at the Palace Theater on, on Broadway, which happened to be empty. So we just rehearsed on stage there. So, oh. um, we had our first read through, and of course, we were all there a little early. We had a you know business meeting where we elected the equity deputy and all sorts of other things. And then Hal and Ange I mean uh, George Hearn and Angela Lansbury came in late later, and uh, they were did a lot of photographs of them on stage. And then we all sat down uh, to do the read through, and at the table in front of us were Hal Brents. Ruth Mitchell, his assistant, these are all, you know, very famous people in theater business. Artie Mazzella, who was Hal's other assistant. Uh, the designers, uh, Fran and, uh, uh, oh God, what were their names? Oh my God, I'm here. Anyway, the two designers were married to each other, set designer, costume designer. Um, and they were at the table and Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince. So, you know, it was looked like looking at Mount Rushmore. And uh, right before we sat down, Angela patted the seat next to her and said, come sit by me, to me. Well, I was nervous wreck, as you can imagine. I had never, I, I mean, I knew my stuff. I had learned it, but I was still, you know, I just didn't know. So we got to the, to the uh, big number, the Ladies in Their Sensitive East Quartet. And when I finished singing it, everybody erupted into applause, and I went, Woo. <laughs> I got about that, you know, and um, so there we were. But Angela was extremely nervous, and I could tell it. She was just very nervous, even though she had done the part for a year. She had been away from it for a while. Oh, and she was okay. she yeah. was nervous, and she was nervous about her chemistry with George. She did, didn't know, you know. Right, 
Right. Yeah. But it well, turns out they had great chemistry together. Yeah, yeah. and it definitely showed. Yeah. It yeah. definitely showed. What a great um, production to be a part of. And you know, when, you, when you're in a show like that, I mean, we've talked about this. Um, I know Noelle and I and other guests have talked about this, but you know, you know that you're in a show. There's a certain moment where you know, oh, this is going to be really, really good. I, yes. It doesn't matter what the moment, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but there, there comes a point in the rehearsal where you just say to yourself, I think I'm part of something really big here. You know, it's going well, to be uh, huge. I can easily tell you when that moment was. We had been rehearsing for three months, three weeks, sorry, three weeks in New York. And before we left to go to Washington, D.C., which strangely enough was where we opened the tour, my hometown. Um, we had what's called a gypsy run-through. Now in New York, what they do on gypsy run-throughs is they invite the casts of all the current Broadway shows all the other for free. You know, mm -hmm. it's just free. You just right. come. The Powell's Theater was packed to the roof with everybody from all the Broadway shows, and they simply went crazy. Yeah, I bet. And that's when we knew, okay, this is... Yeah, we're good. Yeah. 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 And then we went to Washington and had, you know, a six, five, six days of tech rehearsal and up, up we went. Yeah. Wow. Phenomenal show. When I was working in children's theater, there was a lot of young men in that they were kind of like, kind of not necessarily dragged into doing it with their, you know, family, but they were less enthusiastic about it than say, you know, other family members. And I would say, uh -huh. well, you know, these and I would say, well, musical theater has a way of um, bringing out, uh, you know, expression and joy and excitement. And and then I would stop and I'd say, okay, so are you? I said most to most of the kids. I'm like, do you like horror films? Do you like human? <laughs> like you're like, are you into those kind of things? And they're like, well, yeah, those are great. I said, well. I got a little piece of uh, musical theater pie for you guys to watch. And I would give them, I, you know, give them my VHS and go, enjoy. <laughs> Tell me what you think. When you come back, let me know what you think about musical theater after you've watched this. They come back, they're like, oh my God. I'm like, see, there is something, the best thing there ever. Is something for everyone in musical theater. I, I honestly believe that. Mm -hmm. And you know, when right. they, they're like, uh, the people are like, well, I don't get musical theater. Like I, you don't burst into something. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Do you, are you, you know, when you're in your car I and you do. turn on your radio and you hear your favorite song, do you not sing along with it? And are also, there, you know, Hamilton sort of changed the game there as far yeah. as young people are concerned that, that, you know, musical theater is cool again. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think Into the Woods to certain to a certain extent really kind of reached out to a younger audience. I know it did for me. I mean, I, I already love musical theater because my mom was taking me since I was a kid, but that really kind of um, revived my interest in in not just going to see a show or being a costume designer in a show, but actually participating in one. That one really did, you, did that did for you, me. Stephanie, did you see that production of Into the Woods that I directed in, um, in the warehouse in L.A.? No. It, uh, it was a really fabulous experience. Uh, two of my friends, one of whom was my boy student, came to me. At, they, they had their own theater company called Lucid by Proxy. 
And they came to me and said, it's our 10th anniversary as a company and we want to do something. And we think we'd like to do Into the Woods. And I said, well, I said, I would love to do it with you, but I would like to do it environmentally. I want to do it in a space that is um, unusual. It's not a theater space. I said, let's, if we can find an abandoned store or uh, something. Well, anyway, we found this place in downtown LA, which was an abandoned paint factory. Wow. That had been taken over by an art complex. And the space that we did it in was five stories tall, open, all the way up. Wow. So oh, we hung vines now. and, and um, you know, uh, ropes that looked like trees. And there was yeah. a big stage in the middle. And of course, Clark had a confetti company that made confetti leaves. So we covered the whole place with leaves. And I think we had, we had a maximum capacity. We did it under the 99-seat contract. But we snuck in a few more than that, you know, per night. I think we had about 150 to 200 a night. And uh, uh, Anthony Geary, Tony Geary, the Star General Hospital, played the mysterious yeah. man and uh, the narrator. Interesting. And, and it was it was one of the great experiences of my life. I had a great time doing it. And it's just a, a beautiful thing about theater, like I said, and music, and just in general that. When people say to me, well, I don't get why nobody bursts out into song, you know, in, in real life. I mean, yes, they do. Yes, they and do. You're music, right. Yeah. And music is a motivator. There is also another show that Noelle and I agree on and how much we love it. And there's always this. And Lance was a part of this, too. Was um, there, it's such a polarizing show. It's so weird how this one particular show is so polarizing. You either love it or you hate it. There's never any in between when I speak to people, and that's cats. I love it. Me Absolutely too. Barnum. Meow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so another thing that uh, people who are not traditionally <laughs> musical theater fans per se, they don't understand cats. And I'm like, what is there not to understand? Just go in and watch it. Just go in and enjoy it and lose yourself in the fantasy. It's really not that hard. They make it like it's it's supposed to be this really complex, maybe like, you know, Sunday in the Park with George kind of thing. And it's not, It, it, it is what it is. It's just a wonderful romp into the world of these unique type of cats. And yeah, but what people, people used to ask me when I, when I was on tour, people used to ask me all the questions about what is it about? And I said, well, very simply, it's about all of your neighborhood cats sneaking out of the house at night and coming to their annual ball. And right? What Basically, what's wrong yeah. with that? That's right. And <laughs> at, the, at the 12 o'clock hour, one of the cats is chosen for a great honor, which is to trade in one of its nine lives. And it goes up to heaven to be reborn again. And that's the answer. That's There's it. your story. There you Literally right. very simple, there is your very story. basic. <laughs> I think it's safe to say I've seen a production of Cats at least seven or eight times, if not more. Um, yeah. And on March, I want to say, let's see, 13th was Friday. So on March 17th, oh, St. Patrick's Day, the tour was coming through Montreal, which is where I live. And so I was going to bring my mom to see Cats for the 
gazillion time because we always right. sit together and of course it it was canceled or postponed till next year you know and people i know are like why are you going to you've seen him you've seen it already why are you going again because i love it stop thinking about the movie and open your mind oh my god and your heart <laughs> and experience i still have my sweatshirt from the first national tour when it was in la um my sweatshirt with the eyes on the front of course. You know, I still have that thing. Well, to me, uh, it always felt like a great family show, you know, wh where you can take your young kids. And that's one of the reasons it ran on Broadway for 20-some years. Right. It's because it was uh, something that every three or four years you had another crop of, of young children along that you could take to see it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, I have to say, you know, you have to give props to the performers in the show, too, because they're, I mean, we talked about this, too, but on a great stage, dancing full out and singing. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. what? And well, not that's just one of like, the reasons, Stephanie, that's why uh, there was a huge turnover in Cats, because the cast because just of that stage. their bodies couldn't take it. Right. After yeah, about it's a, a lot. year to a year and a half, they just, they would have to, because, you know, the rake would, they were all tweaked, their bodies were tweaked, yeah. so they could only dance to one side, and they all right. had to take, had to believe, you know. I didn't do as much dancing, although I did do the opening number. I didn't have to um, uh, do as much dancing, so it wasn't as hard on me, but, but I certainly understood how they could, uh, how they could, yeah, just they amazing. time off, you know. Yeah, and, and they weren't doing like little, little bitty hand gesture things. I mean, this is like full out, like Victoria, for those of you who don't know who the character Victoria is, it's the pure white cat that you normally see. Um, and ballet, like full out ballet and grand jetés and we, oh my goodness, just, oh. It's so beautiful. Land. It's God so beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful show. I just enjoyed it. Yeah. And one of the great joys of my life was that I got to work with the original choreographer, Jillian Lynn, of course. Jillian Lynn, God and, rest her soul. God rest your soul. And of course, I got to work with her again in, when I did Phantom of the Opera. Oh, that's right. That's right. So Jillian wow. and I were very good friends. And uh, she is a, a towering figure in my, in my life in the theater. Yeah, an amazing choreographer. She's one of my top tens, definitely. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your experience working with Cats? How did you become a part of the cast and how that all came about? Sure. Um, I was in my uh, apartment in New York. I had gotten back from Sweeney Todd. And one of my friends who had a had this, he was a, a, a character actor like me. He was a large guy and had a beard, you know, so we were constantly, you know, sort of going up against each other for the same parts. Why he would take it upon himself to call me and say, are you auditioning for Cats? <laughs> because I got it. You know, I would end up getting it all the time over him if he told me about it. I said, I don't know why he just didn't wise up and never tell me about it. <laughs> he did. And I said, Cats, what's that? I really hadn't heard about it. Uh, and he said, well, it's in London. Now you should look it up because the lead was Brian Blessed, who was just like you and me. I mean, he's a... Uh, yes. And I went, okay. So I looked it up online and I went, oh my God. So then I started, I went into the first audition 
And I had like two auditions for the Broadway, the original Broadway company, and I didn't get it. Then I got called in when the understudy to Old Deuteronomy left the Broadway cast. They had auditions for a replacement for the understudy. I got called in again. And I did two more rehearsals. It got down to three of us. And again, I didn't get it. I was second, but I didn't get it. So I'm going, oh God, all right, so four auditions. Then, then they are starting to see people for the national tour. So I went in and I had three auditions, the last of which it was down to Kevin Markham and myself for the national tour. And again, I didn't get it. <laughs> this makes eight auditions I've had for this thing now. Then finally, uh, I got a call from Sue Anderson, who was had, at that point had been assigned to be the assistant conductor. And I knew her because she was married to Chris Grondahl, who was in Sweeney Todd, and I had known Sue. So, and I think Sue had ended up conducting a, a production of uh, Pirates of Penzance that I had done in Summer Stock, because she was affiliated with the original production of that on Broadway. So she called up and said, well, they're gonna call you in tomorrow uh, for the understudy. Uh, but I had to do some fast talking to make that happen. And I said, well, why? And they said, because they thought you wouldn't take it. <sighs> and I said, well, I need a job. I'm unemployed, of course I'll take it. So I went in, they had me sing five songs, count it, five songs. Oh my gosh. Stanley Lebowski, who was the musical director, I don't know what they were looking for. They just wanted to make sure I had a versatile voice that could do all sorts of things. So I sang five songs, and I got home, and Sue said, well, they're going to offer it to you tomorrow morning, but you had better be thankful that I was in the room again because they were going to not offer it to you because they thought you wouldn't take it. And well, I oh, said, my gosh. And I, and I popped up and said, uh, I know Calvin, and he will take it, but he needs a job. So they said, okay, well, then that's that. So I took it. I was in, we rehearsed it, and it, the, Trevor, ran a, Trevor Nunn ran a really interesting rehearsal because I was the understudy, but we were often divided. There were a lot of understudies because it being a dance show, there were a lot of, right. of strings and understudies for these parts. So we would be in two different rooms, and we both rehearsed it just as much as the other ones. You know, a lot of times we're, Understudies just kind of have to sit there and watch, but no, we were fully rehearsed. When they would move Kevin out to do something, I would step in. So I had rehearsed it with everybody, with the full cast, knew exactly what I was doing. And it wasn't until we went up to Boston where we started to tech it that I realized, oh, I'm not in this. <laughs> because then I realized that I wasn't in it. So we were the four principal understudies to the four main singing characters were, we actually had to perform every night in a booth uh, with microphones, we sang along with the orchestra because oh, okay. when the cats are dancing around, their voices. Oh, oh, oh. So they had to have a right. core group of singers that wasn't dancing, so there was some some solidity and strength to the sound. Now we were all mixed in together, but it was really us that carried it. Okay. So I'm in there, and and uh, we were due to play Boston for six weeks, and then move to Washington. At the end of the Boston run. We heard that Ken Page, who was playing Old Deuteronomy in New York, was going to leave. So they offered it to Kevin, who was Old Deuteronomy in our company. After five weeks, that's all, all we had done. And so Kevin knew that he was going to go to Broadway. 
at that point, they, Trevor, they, they, the logical way to do this was to have taken the understudy from New York and moved him up to the lead in Boston. Right. And if I was to have been considered, they would have moved me to New York. But of course, that would have been just a lateral move for me. I would have been in the booth in New York and then the understudy in booth in, in Boston or Washington. It really didn't matter. But Trevor said, you know what? I'm going to fly over and see both of them do it and make up my mind. So he flew to Boston. They put me on. I did it. Trevor came to me and he said, I'm not going to take you away from this company. He said, you're just too good in it. So he told me right then and there, he's going to get it for me. Then he flew to New York and saw the other guy, but I had it already. So I took over when we went to Washington and played it for the rest of the entire four-year run of Cats. Wow. Yeah. I played it I, I for the first four five weeks. I was old Deuteronomy. And during that five weeks, I still went on a bunch because Kevin was out. So, yeah. so there you have it. So um, we're going to move on to another Andrew Lloyd Webber piece of, of um, perfection, and that is Phantom of the Opera, another yes. favorite of mine. Um, and Noel, of course. Uh, there's, I mean, musical theater. I just love it. Um, another show that I've seen, I don't a gajillion times. How many times, least. including last year here in Montreal, it came and oh, I got yeah. I got seated. I got seated right underneath the chandelier, which is my favorite nice. place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love being underneath that chandelier? It right. is so awesome and, and exciting. The restaging of it too that they've done and um, what they've redone with costuming and set. It's just it just breathes um, you know new life into it. And not that it needed it. But because it was one of those, you know, perennial favorites, it'll never, I don't think it'll ever fade away. Um, well, no, and it's still uh, running in New York, what, still 30, running. Years, 30 years almost? Been almost 30 years, yeah, 28, 29 yeah. years maybe? Because their 25th Amazing. was, yeah, 25th was a few years ago. Yeah, a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, it's still running. Oh. Yeah. Amazing. So um, uh, tell us a little bit about your... Um, voyage into uh, phantom dumb. Well, I seem to always have weird stories about how I got into these things, and this is just as weird as it could be. <laughs> I, I knew that phantom was a natural fit for me, yeah. um, but I could not get an audition for the original production. I don't know why. I was, tour I was out touring with cats, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the audition. They wouldn't bring me in. And I don't know why. I, could, I kept trying to say, well, I'm perfect for this. You know, you should bring me in. But never happened. So I'm down at uh, the Michael Bennett building for another audition, and they are rehearsing the original Broadway production of Phantom. Okay. Before it opened. And I'm sitting in the hallway to audition for something else, and Jillian Lynn walks out and sees me, and she goes, Calvin, darling. Why, why? And then she came over and said, why aren't you in this? And I said, I couldn't get an audition, Jillian. I tried. She went, well, well, that's not going to happen again. She said, when we do the first national, I'll make sure you get in. So anyway, the first national is coming up, and I'm still not hearing for about an audition. Not hearing. My agent's trying to get me in. But, you know, they have these casting directors, and the casting directors had their own ideas, and I was yeah. not being called into the, to the thing. 
But Frank Mastrone, who had been in Cats with me, invited me to his New Year's party. And, and he, at that time, was in the Broadway cast of Phantom of the Opera. So I knew that if I, I said, Calvin, you've got to go to this, this New Year's Eve party because you're going to walk out of there with an audition for Phantom of the Opera. So I went to the New Year's Eve party, and within five minutes of walking into the room, I had been cornered by David Caddick, the musical director of Phantom, and Mitch Lenski, who was Hal Prince's assistant on it. They had me in a corner. Do, what are you doing? Are you available? Have you been in? Blah, 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 blah. And the next thing I knew, I got a call the next day to come in and sing for Phantom of, of the Opera for the national tour, California, the California production, which was, they called it the national tour, but again, we just played LA. So I said, uh, yes, I'll be in. So I thought I was being called in for Pianji, the opera singer yes. in fact. Yeah. I thought that's what, so I kind of dressed up like Pavarotti. I had a big long handkerchief and I went in and I sang an opera aria. And, and Hal was looking at me for the off, uh, audience and Cameron was looking at me and, and they, when I finished, they said, well, okay, uh, thank you. Uh, that's all. And I walked off stage and I went, what in the hell? What's going on here? I know I am right for this. What am I not showing them? And I went across the street to Charlie's, which was another theater restaurant, and I proceeded to get drunker than a skunk because I was, I was just so upset. I just knew I wasn't mm -hmm. going to get it. Sure enough, the rest of that week was full of auditions, and Friday is coming up, and I know that Friday is the final callbacks to the LA cast. Now, on Friday morning, I got a call from my friend. Uh, 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 Jeff Gelineo, who was working at a law firm, and I had been doing temp work at law firms in New York to make money. And he said, we could use you over here for the next week or two. And I said, okay. So I went over to the law firm, and I'm working at the law firm, and I about 11 o'clock or 12, maybe 1, I don't know, some, sometime, no, 11 o'clock, I got a phone call from my agent there on my, they, they knew where I was, and so they called me. And I said, he said, they want to see you at the Majestic Theater for Phantom of the Opera. They said, you've been auditioning for the wrong part. And they want to see you for one of the theater managers. Now, can you get over there right now? And I said, uh, okay, I'll figure something out. <laughs> Tell them I'm not. I said, I don't have any music, and I'm, but I am dressed in a suit and tie, so uh, I don't have anything with me. So they said, okay. So I went in and said, I'm going to take an early lunch. And they said, fine. So I went down, caught a cab, went over to the Majestic Theater, got backstage, and they said, uh, they brought, they, Treat Williams, you know the actor Treat Williams? Of course. He was standing in the wings to, waiting to go on to audition for The Phantom. And they said, excuse me, Mr. Williams, and they took me out. Wow. And, and uh, Hal said, uh, Cameron McIntosh actually did most of the talking. And uh, he said, uh, you, I think we, we want to see you for one of the managers. You, you've been auditioning for the, uh, um, the opera singer. We'd like to see you. He said, do you know Prima Donna? And I said, well, yeah, yes. I, if I can hold the music, I kind of know it. And they said, well, go downstairs with Kristen Blodgett and go through it, and then we'll see you up here in a minute. So luckily, I did know it because I had performed the whole thing in a concert for the Drama League about a month prior. Wow. And I had sung Firma, the role that I ended up getting. Uh, so I knew it. 
So we went down in the basement and Kristen Roger, who had been my conductor on Cats, she was the assistant conductor on Phantom. So it was old homework, I knew everybody. And we went through it and she said, great. Just go up there and do it just like that. So they took me up, I went out, I sang the first verse. Hal looked at me and he said, whose idea was that? And Cameron said, well, I thought this is what we should do. And Hal said to me, do you want to go to California? I said, I'd love to go to California. He said, see it later. Wow. And that was it. That's awesome. Now, what I found out had happened later is they had about decided to offer it to William, uh, oh, what is his last name? He was in Candide. Uh, I'll have to look his name up. William, I want to say William Macaulay, but that's not it. It's William something. Very, very famous baritone, fabulous voice. He had done a Broadway revival of Most Happy Fellow. He had starred in it on Broadway. And they, he was older. He was about 65, 70. And, and he, they were going to offer it to him. But then they decided that they wanted to offer the other manager to Norman Large and have him cover the phantom. And they were afraid that the two of them would look a little bit like father and son. Okay. So they wanted to go with somebody a little younger than Bill. And also Bill was insisting that his wife be in the choir too, of course, too. And I don't think that went over very well with Hal. So anyway, they called me in and I got it. Wow. And that's so when you were in California, that was the first national tour. That was the first ever in the world. Was it the Was it at the Amundsen? Where was that? Was it at the Amundsen? Yeah. So you were So you were in it with Reese Holland then. I was yes with Michael Crawford and Dale Christian, who had taken over from Yes, yes, and Reese. Back then. To see a show when you lived on the West Coast, all you knew of the show was the cast recording, because or yes. or if you know, or the Tonys, or if they, if or the, the Tonys, or if because you know there was no YouTube, there was no um, Spotify, there was no Sirius uh-huh. XM radio. So for us, we would get a show like maybe a year or two after like the London cast recording came out and then the Broadway cast recording. So it was always a really special moment sitting in the theater for the first time in those $25 back, back of the house student rush tickets or whatever they were called. Um, it was always such a, a an exciting, exhilarating uh magical moment to sit down in a theater and get to see this show that we'd been listening to for so long. Absolutely. And, and I had seen the last invited dress in New York because June Havoc had invited me to go. And do you know who June Havoc was? Absolutely. Yes. Gypsy Rosalie's sister. Yeah. And June had done Mrs. Yeah. Lovett in the bus and truck with Sweeney. And so I'd gotten to know her. Marathon 33. Marathon yeah, 33. Marathon yeah. 33. Yeah. So June invited me to go to the final dress of Phantom, and we went. And she looked at me and she said, well, there's your next show. And little did we know that it was. You know. <laughs> so um, I ended up uh, loving, uh, loving it so much. And I kept thinking, that's why I was so confused why I wasn't getting anywhere. But it was just uh, finding the right fit, the right part. Right. And I'll tell you another another funny story. On on our final dress in LA, I, you know, we do the auction scene, which we're in, and then I run off, I divest myself of my coat and my hat, and I run up the steps and get into the box seat 
oh, that's not right. We had that whole first scene. And then I go up and we're going up into the box to watch Christine sing, Think of Me. And yes. I'm going up the box, the steps to the, to the thing, and I get to the next to the top step and it breaks. <gasps> and I go straight down through the steps, about a drop of about eight feet, and landed oh my on my right leg. Oh my God. And then I grabbed a hold of the black leg that was next to me, and it sort of slowed me down a little bit. But I ended up falling on top of Norman and uh, screwing his shoulder up. But, but I thought I had broken my leg because I could not stand up. I couldn't put any weight on it. Oh my God. And we're due to have our first performance that night. So they got me, uh, I got my wig off and I got my uh, uh, costume, I think the top part of my costume off, and they had an ambulance there and I was trucked off to the emergency room immediately. They x-rayed my leg, they looked at it, and the doctor came in and said, well, you're lucky, you did not break anything, but you've got a bad stone bruise kind of a thing and you're going to... He said, I can inject it with a little something to numb the pain so that you can walk, but you'll be walking with a limp. And I said, well, I have a cane, a walking stick. And he said, well, you might have to use it for the next four or five days. Wow. And I said, so I got back to the theater and I went on and limped my way through that, uh, that performance. But I got on, so I didn't, I didn't miss it. Wow. I thought wow. I had broken my leg and I thought I was going to be out for like six weeks, you know? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I was extremely lucky. I can't believe that I Eight got feet. Through that. Wow. You know, <laughs> I really, you know, I don't have any recollection of how I got through that, that evening performance of Phantom because I, I had to dance masquerade. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I, I'm certain that I did it, but I don't have any, no recollection of how I got through it. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That, that's that whole theater health thing where, you know, you're sick as a dog, but you go on and you, you, you do fine until you get off stage after the show. And then you're like, oh, my God, I think I'm just going to pass it's, out right yes, now. I know that, the, theater is the, theater is the great healer, they say. You know? Yeah, I'm telling you. It's that adrenaline, you know, like, like Stephanie knows, five years ago I had a pulmonary embolism. And I was... Um, in the middle of rehearsals for Tommy, for the Who's Tommy, in the middle of rehearsals for Tommy, that I was producing and performing in. And one month to the day of being hospitalized was our opening night. And I have, I don't have any recollection of being on stage. I look at the video and it's like I'm looking at somebody else because I don't remember. I was Taking, I was still taking medication and stuff. Somebody was driving me there and I would sit down because we did it concert style. I would uh -huh. sit, we were sitting with the curtain closed and I'm the first, Mrs. Walker's the first person to do anything. And I'm sitting there like this saying, come on adrenaline, come on adrenaline. And then over the loudspeaker comes the voice of my dear friend, Michael Cerveris, who was the original Tommy, who did And our, guess what? Do you know Michael? Do you know Michael? I've known Michael yeah, really most of my that. life. Most of my life. Yeah. Do you know who Michael's voice teacher was? No. Before he got Tommy? No. No way. Are you kidding? For five years. For five years, I taught Michael. Michael was our, what, third episode? 
Yeah, he's he's on one of the episodes. Do you have a, Do you have his email address? I do. Because I wanted, I've been wanting to write him a note. Ever since I saw him on the Sondheim 90th thing. That yes, is that not just gorgeous? Oh, that, oh whole, yes. that, that whole thing. I, I've watched it twice so far. <laughs> yeah, I've known Michael since he was doing Fame in L.A. Well, yeah, now, this since is our so weird. Days. I taught him in New York for like four years. I'd come out to L.A. to do Phantom. Okay. And I okay. ran into Michael on the L.A. Music Center Plaza because he was doing a Shakespeare something at the Mark Taper Forum. Okay. Oh. And so we ran into each other and he said, how wonderful to run into you. He said, they have just got called me and asked me to do Tommy and I don't know if I can sing it. I In said, La Jolla. I said, come on over to my house and let's work on it and then we'll see. So he came over and we worked on it for six weeks. And at the end of the six weeks, I said, you can do this. And so he went into my kitchen and called them up and accepted the role. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's amazing. I was I had been living um after after college I moved to Ireland. I was living in Dublin. I was um touring with a show, part of a theater company and stuff and I remember moving back to you know you, you lose touch with back then there was no internet so michael and i were have always mailed um postcards to each other like letters and postcards but mostly wherever he was regionally doing a show he would send me a postcard um and i still have them all and uh i remember being on the plane and I guess we had just you know I was I was away for a long time and I guess we had lost touch for a period of time and um, I'm on the plane headed back moving back to LA in 93 I think it was maybe no it must it must have been moving home coming home for a visit and remember when the airplanes had like you were actually listening to like CDs and you could look at the the liner notes and stuff from your seat and I was listening to Tommy and I said, oh my gosh, that sounds so much like Michael. And then I looked and the whole 11 hour flight from Ireland to LA, I couldn't wait to get to LA. And I got there and I called SAG Actors Locate because he no longer lived on Haywood or whatever, whatever, Haywood, Haywood, right near Cantor's, right near Cantor's. Hayward, Hayward or Hayworth? Hayworth. 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 Yeah. Hayworth. Right, right behind Cantor's. And, um, and he, um, and I called, so I called Screen Actors Guild, got his agent's number, called his agent. His agent gave me his manager's number, called his manager in New York. And all of this took about five minutes. And like two minutes later, the phone rang and it was Michael. And um, <laughs> so I've seen him in every single Broadway show that he has done since then. I flew, I flew from LA to see him in Titanic. Um, and then I moved to, I moved to the East coast in, in uh, 2000. So I saw, I've, I've seen everything. I mean, seeing him in assassins was one of the most exhilarating experiences and then seeing him in fun home as well. But of course seeing him in Sweeney cause it was well. Sweeney. And he, he's doing he's doing Sweeney Todd, which is my favorite musical. He's playing Sweeney, and he's doing it with Patty Lapone. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on, <laughs> doesn't get much better. It doesn't than get that. much better than that. So, well, once, when I went to New York for the uh, David Hyde Pierce MC the uh, 80th birthday celebration of Sondheim, you know, which is you can watch on YouTube. Yes, the, with the New York Philharmonic. Well, David wanted me because I'm the one that pushed him to do 
Beautiful Girls, which he ended up singing on the thing. Okay. And so David said, I want you to come. So he flew me out to New York and get and arranged for Clark, my partner and I, to see it at, at the Philharmonic Hall. So imagine how I'm sitting there. And when Michael and George Hearn come out and Patty oh, to do And they did that. Drinks, yes. I was like dying because they I knew all of them, you know. Yeah. And it was like right. my, my whole history was up there. Uh, so so Michael had done my um, my uh, greeting like before, you know, and he did it as Tommy with the accent, telling people to unwrap their sweets and and you know all this kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting on the stage with the curtain closed, like just listening to his voice and t willing the adrenaline to kick in. And then the second the curtain opened, next thing I know, the show was over. It was over. Yep. It's just amazing how that works. But it's it does so work. strange. It does. It but does. and I, and I wouldn't. And my doctor, you know, I told my doctor, I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing a show. Can I do my show? And she's like, I don't know how you can do a show, but if you think you can do a show, I have no problem with you doing the show. And when I showed her the video, my doctor cried. Wow. <laughs> you know, because I was like, this is what theater is. We just, you know, we we do. And and when you're working in little independent theater like mine, we don't have understudies. I can't afford, yeah, no, of course yeah, you can afford don't. understudies. I've been in situations like that. You just yeah, got to do it. You just do it. That is the magic of theater. It really is. I'm just going to gush about you right now, Cal. All right. He's one of those. Yeah, I am. <laughs> he's one of those. Yeah. He's one of those directors that is an actor's director. You don't have many of those. And, and any time I am available, and he knows this, but any time I'm available and he will say, you know what, tell me, I would love for you to come in. Yes. But you don't even know, the, yes. You don't know what the role is. Yes. <laughs> I, yes, I will, yes, I will work. Yes, yes. And there's not very many directors that are like that, where you're like, I don't care what the role is. I'm just going to be working with him, so I don't care, or her. You know, it depends on what the role is. And the, I, I don't care what the role is. Yes. So then, because I don't know uh, the history between the two of you at all, um, well, how, about, how you, about you share that with me and our listeners? Let oh. me tell you how I remember it, and then Stephanie can see if, if I'm right about it. My recollection was uh, there was a musical that came up in L.A. when I was living there toward, the, you know, in my mid, mid to late 20s. And one of my voice students came to me and said that he had been asked to sing this workshop of a new musical called Bear. And his name was Dwayne Britton. I don't know if Stephanie, if you remember him, because I don't know when you became associated with it. But, but um I said, okay, and I worked on the music with him uh, to get him ready for it, and he was playing Jason. And I, I got, I said, this is really good. This music is really great. So I went to the performance that they did at Playwrights Horizons, and it was across the, not Playwrights Horizons, what was the name of that? I don't remember the name of the theater, but that's where they held the, the workshop, you know, the, okay. the original thing. And I went over there and saw it, and after it was over, I sought out uh, John and uh, uh, the composer, Damon. his name, Matt, yes. Damon. Uh, uh, I sh uh, sought out both of them and said, I would like to be considered to direct this thing. So 
can we have a meeting? And they said, yes. And they came over to my house and we talked about it. And I told them, I said, I really love this material and I would like to do it. Anyway, they eventually passed on it, passed on me and, and hired uh, Kristen Hange, whom I believe that they had both gone to school with, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, yeah. And uh, but of course, I still love the piece, so I went to see it about three or four times when it was playing uh, in LA originally. And I think that that is when we met, Stephanie. Am I wrong about yes. that? Yeah, okay, you're so correct. You tell me. You tell me when when what you remember. I don't know who introduced us. I think maybe you just. <laughs> I think maybe just after a show, you had approached me, but I knew the. Could minute, it have been I mean, Sierra? I, Could maybe it was Sierra Ryan? Oh, maybe it was. Because she was studying with me at the time, so and I knew. Yeah. I knew okay. That, so I bet you it was Sierra. Okay, because Sierra must have said, um, you know, my voice teacher's in Calvin Rimsburg, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know that name. I know that name. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. This is the course backstage. I'm like, I know that name. Yeah, it was Sierra, because when she said your name, I was like, <gasps> I'm like, Sweetie Todd? I'm like, you know, you know, that's what it was. Yeah, it was and Sierra. And then Stephanie came to study with me for a while there. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, you know, the, the weird thing, of course, is the bear I always felt was the one that got away, because it was a chance to direct something new, you know, that hadn't been done before. Right. And uh, so I was heartbroken that I didn't get to do it, although I thought Kristen did a fabulous job with it. So then we cut to cut to like, what, 10 years later, maybe? Yeah, and, almost, and, uh, a little over, yeah. These two, uh, Topher uh, and his wife now, Jamie, came to yes. see me uh, one afternoon at my house because I had met them through oh, a lot of circumstances because uh, I was doing glory days and they were, trying to get the rights and we had a big, uh, I had a big uh, knockout and drag out argument with the rights holder because they had promised me the exclusive LA rights and then they gave it to them for one night, for a two night concert thing. And I said, well, we're now no longer the premiere, the LA premiere, I, I can't say that anymore. So anyway, so it was a long, but anyway, through that I met the producer of that other event, Topher and Jamie, and they, we got on pretty well. I didn't want to cause any problems with these young producers. For heaven's sakes, it wasn't their fault. So um, they came over and said, well, we're thinking about doing a production of this piece and we want to do something, but they weren't telling me what it was. And they were, and I said, well, you know, it could be done. And I said, I have some scenery that maybe it, it's sort of a, they're geometric things that we could use that maybe we wouldn't have to have to build, have to build a lot of, scenery for it and uh anyway i said what is the piece what is the show you want to do and they said well we want to do the la first big la revival of bear so i went oh my god (laughs) it has come around 10 years later so i said i would love to do it and they said you're hired and I said, and we're going to ask Stephanie Anderson to recreate her role. And I called you up and offered it to you flat, didn't I, Steph? Yeah, the weird thing was, is that there was a, um, they had put press out about the revival. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And they were still kind of in talks about casting other people. Because I was looking through there to see, oh, they must have already casted the show. They're already talking about the revival. 
And I didn't see that Chantel was named as somebody's taken the spot. And I said, well, God. And then I looked at the director and I went, oh my God, it's Calvin. <laughs> so I quickly sent Calvin a note saying, listen, I, I see that you're getting ready to do there again. And I said, to be, if you want me to come in to audition, by all means, I will audition for it if you want me to, but I really want to be a part of it. And he's like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> no, you're not auditioning for this. Do you want the part? Yeah, come and take it. You're, it's you. You want it. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And, you know, some, the other person who called me like that out of the blue was, uh, 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 oh, why is everybody's name escaping me? But the original Jason. Um, oh, John Griffin. John Griffin. John Griffin called me up and he said, uh, I'm too old to play Jason now, but would, maybe I could do the priest and I went, you're hired. I mean, it's just anytime you can get those, in, those crossovers from the original production, you'd be a fool not to take them. Right. And they're, they're both very good performers, you know, so of course. So John Griffin came in to do the priest. And he was uh, fantastic then, in that. And then, of course, Jonah Platt came in and auditioned for Jason. And I, I knew the Platt family. Uh, and who doesn't know the Platt family now? Right. Because, you know, right. Ben is a big star. And, and uh, you know, his father, Mark, produced the movie of Mary Poppins Returns and everything at Wicked and all these other things. So, um, and then when Payson came in, oh. I thought, well, this is going to be really something. But the really the thing that cemented it for me was when Lindsay Pierce auditioned for Ivy in my studio. Yeah. And I just wasn't prepared. I think that that child is brilliant. She and really I, is. I loved her. I loved her. And <laughs> I, she never, I mean, I could, I would give her direction. And she would flawlessly do it. Yeah. You know, I didn't you know, have to tell, her, have to tell her anything times. twice. She was just like flawless. And I thought just amazing. And of course, you know what Lindsay was doing when all this coronavirus started? Yeah, she you was know? in Wicked. She was playing Alphaba on Broadway. Alphaba. So I yeah. guess she'll go back into it when Broadway reopens, I suppose. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, she hadn't I, been in there, and she hadn't been in the role very long, too. No, it's like a, a month, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, my heart really breaks for all my friends that are in the live theater because I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Do you? Does it, I mean, Nobody does. I wish I, could, I wish I could sit here and confidently say that Broadway is going to come back, but I mean, eventually, I suppose it will, but. Not anytime soon. It's gonna be the, it's gonna be the it's gonna be the last thing to come back. You know, like yeah. it's gonna be the last thing to come back. We we here, you know, they cancel Pride. We're like, that's fine. We'll still do our show at the end of November. That's not gonna happen. It's not gonna be for a year or more. I don't think people are just not gonna feel comfortable no. about going and sitting in a big group of people. They're just not gonna do it. They're not. And you know, Stephanie, this is something you don't maybe don't know. But Michael Childers, you know Michael Childers? Yes. The, the producer of One Night Only. He went right. to New York and he was due to see Moulin Rouge the night it closed. And he flew back to Palm Springs and has just gotten home from the hospital with uh, COVID-19. Oh my gosh. What? He nearly yeah. died. I consider myself, I consider myself really, I mean, when we went, at the time that we went, there were 33 known cases in New York City. So we're like, oh, we're fine. But my friend and I traveled with hand sanitizer, 
with Lysol wipes. We sat down, the first show we saw was Jagged Little Pill. Before we sat down, we wiped down the seats. Um, we were extremely cautious. We took the subway, yeah. but like we had our wipes and we had, we each had a couple pairs of like disposable gloves. So we were very, very cautious, but we definitely consider ourselves lucky because the reason that Moulin Rouge shut down is because Aaron Tveit and Danny Burstein, I, I don't know if you read Danny's um, like thing, th thing that he wrote, but they were both positive. They were sick. And I'm sure many other members of their, their company were, were sick. And, wow. and, and Gavin so, Creel. I mean, yeah. Gavin yeah. and Sarah, Gavin yeah. and Sarah and Laura Bell Bundy, who's out in California. Yes. Um, so many and and there's going to be way more and there uh, and there are those like i have a I have a friend in new york who's a um a graphic novel writer and he had symptoms full-on 104 degree temperature for like four or five days and they wouldn't take him to test him so he never got tested. Now he's going to be tested for the antibodies but he never got tested because they told him his symptoms weren't severe enough so he, he has a hundred. Yeah, so he just had to suffer through it, and he was like kind of posting every day what his symptoms were and how things were progressing, so that people would know what to kind of look for okay. in themselves. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just been terrible. Yeah, and I, I just have no. Only, only thing I can do is hope that you know the vaccine arrives and is, you know, efficacious, and we can do it and get it sooner than rather than later. Because yeah. I think that's going to be the, the big determining factor as to when people go back out. Because you've worked uh, on the stage as well as on a creative team, it, do you have a preference for one or the other? Are you? Do you think of yourself uh, primarily as a performer or primarily as a director? At, at, I'd say at this stage in your life, which, which. At this stage in my life now, I would say that I think of myself primarily as a director. Uh, I made a decision. Uh, back in in my 50s um, to sort of phase myself out of performing and more into directing. Okay. And that's sort of what I did. I, I only took performing jobs if they were something that I couldn't say no to. Like I did the X-Files. Um, I was asked to be one of the voices in Shrek, mm -hmm. uh, the, the movie, uh, things like that. Other than that, I really put all of my energy into directing projects. Um, and I also made the decision to retire at uh, 67, and I did it. I mean, I had planned my whole life that that's what I was going to do, and I sold my house, and that's what I did. I retired, and I moved to Palm Springs. And uh, I I'm not sorry I did it, because I have there. Lord knows there is a huge community of ex-Broadway people out here. And we're, they're my best friends. So I, we constantly get together and talk about the theater and, uh, uh, you know, entertainment in general. So um, I would say now I don't think of myself as either, but I am, uh, I still would have to say if I had to pick one over the other that I would, I would certainly direct more than I would perform at this point. This has been great. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, chance to reminisce about my, theater history, you know, I, I say to everybody that my three big shows were three of the biggest shows of all time. Cat, right. Queenie, Todd, and Phantom of the Opera. I'm very lucky that way. And uh, I, I had a wonderful time doing all of them. A lot to remember about all of them. Yeah.
Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much to Calvin Remsberg for joining us here on Broadway Babies. Thank you so much, Calvin. My pleasure. I, anytime. <laughs> My name is Noelle Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. And we'll see you next time. Bye.